following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. So we're continuing our series in that I've entitled Just Like Us, as we look at several key Bible characters to see that they are just like us so that we could be just like them. I've mentioned more than once that they're not like each one of these are not like us in every way because they all of them like all of us have different personalities, different talents, different gifts, different weaknesses. Uh, and uh, but there are ways that they are, we're all the same as human beings. And so this week we're looking at Paul who is one of the, there's, there's more about him in the Bible than many other characters. We also have so much of his own writings as about a third of the New Testament are letters by Paul, as well we, as we have what's said about him and his adventures in, in the book of Acts. He was born in Tarsus, which is modern, in modern-day Turkey, and he was born into a very strict religious family. Not all Jewish people of the first century, just like the Jewish people worldwide today, were not all very religious. Some were more, some were less. It was quite a, um, pretty mixed. But he was part of this sect that we know, we think we know a lot about because they're mentioned so much in the New Testament, but actually from my understanding, we don't really know as much about them as we think we do. He was part of the religious, usually referred to as a religious party called the Pharisees. And the, the Pharisees believed that the oppressed plight of the Jewish people, was, we've referenced this more than once this morning, was due to a lackadaisical approach to the Torah, the, the books of Moses and God's regulations there. And they believed that if the Jewish people would just get with it and do the things that God had called us to do, then everything would be, uh, would be better. In fact, it would bring the Messiah and would release the Jewish people from the oppression of the Romans. And so they would teach people to, to follow the books of Moses, the law of Moses in the way that they understood it and that that would speed up the redemption of the Messiah and the inauguration of the world to come, the resurrection of the dead and, and all that. Paul and his family were quite unusual. I'm not too sure how unusual, in that not only were they uh, strict in their religious observance as Pharisees, um, but they were also Roman citizens, we don't know how his family became Roman citizens. Not all, it it's, was different there compared to Canada today. If, if a baby is born in Canada, it's given automatic citizenship. But that it's not like that everywhere in the world. and It wasn't like that in the Roman Empire. People became citizens through a variety of ways. My understanding is if your parents had become Roman citizens, then if you're born into that family, then you would be a Roman citizen. And that's what happened with Paul. And so he was both a Pharisee, and I should mention 
that he was a Pharisee until the day he died. Uh, he, in, uh, when he's before the religious council in Jerusalem, he refers to himself as a Pharisee. The, the Pharisees, uh, uh, their understanding of God was more or less the same understanding of God that Jesus had. The Sadducees, another group, they were the priestly class. They rejected uh, most of the Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. They rejected uh, most of it as inspired. They only believed the five books of Moses were the inspired word of God. But the Pharisees, like Paul, like Jesus, uh, believed that the whole Old Testament as we have it today was truly God's word. They also were one of the only ones, the Pharisees that is, like Paul and then like Jesus, believed in the resurrection of the dead and everlasting life. That's one of the reasons why when Paul was on trial before uh, the council had both Sadducees and Pharisees in it, he proclaimed himself as a Pharisee who was standing on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And in some ways, the resurrection of Jesus for Paul was an affirmation of his understanding of the Jewish religion and of the scriptures. His encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road changed many things about his viewpoint of God and his word and of life, but it also affirmed other aspects that had been held dear by him and his family and other Pharisees up to that point. The reason why Paul was so passionate about trying to stamp out this early movement of uh, Jewish people following the supposed Messiah, Jesus, or Yeshua of Nazareth, he sought to stamp it out because he saw what they were doing as, um, as undermining that which they thought was the pure belief in God and his word. Early on in the proclamation of the good news through Jesus, there, there was this impression being given that they were speaking against the temple. And in Paul's mind, that would be treasonous. They weren't really speaking against the temple. Yes, they were speaking against the, the corruption of the temple and of the Sadducees in particular. Some, that's something that, that Jesus made loud and clear. We talked about that quite a bit when I uh, did my series in Mark last year. Uh, but the Pharisees understood that the Sadducees had been uh, corrupt, but they didn't believe that the temple would be destroyed. And so Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of the temple, which his followers believed, which also led to an understanding that God didn't dwell in the temple. God wanted to dwell in human hearts. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, including Paul, would see that as treasonous. And so that movement had to be stamped out. We're first introduced to Paul in Acts chapter 7, uh, end of chapter 7, beginning of Acts chapter 8, when he was a supporting bystander when Stephen, who, it's, who they believed had spoken against the temple, had been stoned. And so following that, he began to drag members of this new movement, uh, dragging them, uh, he was going from house to house, actually dragging them to prison. Something else that I need to say at this point when we picture what was going on with um, this Saul of Tarsus be beginning to persecute bitterly the early believers, this was not a clash between 
Jews and Christians. That's very often the way it's pictured uh, for us. It was actually an internal Jewish matter. What was going on in Saul's day was more like the Reformation, where there was God's, God was, how do I put it? This was God's movement in the, in the, in the, uh, the people of Israel still are the people of God called to serve him, given his word. And then as the centuries develop and the nations are being ingathered because of what the Messiah has done for the world, and we have the emergence of the institutionalized church, much of it in, in Luther's day was quite corrupt, and yet there were true believers, people who had been seeking to bring about needed change, a call back to the scripture. And so uh, Luther begins to call for uh, a, a restoration of the pure nature of the gospel. And what the early believers were, were all about were they were taught the true way of God by Jesus. And Paul, of course, first rejected that notion until he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and saw that what these other Jewish people were doing in proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah, they were actually correct. And they were the ones that were leading what we might call a revival, a Holy Spirit revival in the name of Jesus. But this was all happening within the Jewish family, so to speak similar to what Luther was doing in speaking to the Christian family about the right and true way of God. And so people often talk about how Saul the Pharisee uh, was converted by the Lord Jesus and became Paul the Apostle. But that's not really the way we're supposed to understand it. Paul didn't change religions. Paul was born... uh, a, a, a Jewish man among Jewish people. And there was so much about the Jewish religion that was good and right because it was given to us, me and, and Robin being part of that people, it was given to us by God. And yet we had become misguided in many ways. And Jesus came And then what Paul was preaching later on was a restoration to the truth of God in the way it was supposed to be understood. And again, that's much like Luther, what Luther did in his day. So Paul didn't change religions. They didn't understand it that way at all. It was a clash within a Jewish context. Jewish people disagreeing with Jewish people. And eventually, and especially through Paul, the he became the champion of the integration of the nations in God's plan and purposes. Um, and, and by the way, he did. it's not as if his name was Saul and then God changed it to Paul. We get that with Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. We have that with Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. P, uh, Simon's name was not changed to Peter. We talked about him last week. Peter was a nickname. He went by both names. It's most likely that Saul, whose Hebrew name is from Shaul, 
Shaul um, was likely also given a Greek and or Latin name, Paulos. He had both names. And we read this in Acts 13. He's now engaging non-Jewish people, Gentiles, in in the Roman Empire preaching the gospel. And we read in, in Acts 13 verse 9 that Saul or Shaul, who was also called Paulos or Paul, and so then Luke refers to him solely as Paul in the rest of the book. And it seems to go along with the fact that he had become the champion of bringing the gospel to the non-Jewish nations. But he had both names. They would have been retained for the rest of his life. So Paul, in his role of being this champion of bringing the gospel to the nations, um, it as we read his letters and if we pay close attention to what he's saying, we see it was not an easy task for him. And we, we had that read, we're going to get to what was read in, in a moment, but um, I just want to read another passage very briefly from Philippians 2, 25 through 30, that gives us a bit of a glimpse into this man. I think... When we read Paul, we just pick up on his theology and we read the, the, the things that he is telling us to believe or telling us to do, and we often miss what he himself was like as a human being following the Lord Jesus. And so in Philippians 2, starting verse 25, he writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And, and hear this, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. The book of Philippians is known as the book of rejoicing, where Paul says, rejoice again, and I, I, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. I don't get tired of saying these things to you. And, and, and likely it was because he was struggling with, with being joyful as through the struggles and the suffering that he uh, had been through. He says, verse 28 here, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Philippians is the book where Paul says, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. And we read that in such a way, that book of Philippians, as if Paul was always almost happy-go-lucky with joy and that he was never anxious because of, because he had written out this formula of how to live life. But it seems, no, he struggled with sorrow. He struggled with being anxious and had learned, like was said earlier in the kids' message, uh, that somebody like Hannah took her anguish and brought it to the Lord. And so Paul took his anxiety to the Lord. Paul took his sorrow to the Lord. And he was so glad that his friend didn't die because it looked like he was actually quite depressed. And if his friend would have died, it would have sunk him further into the pit of depression. And he was so happy that his friend didn't die just like us. I'll move on here. And so Paul was was a passionate <clears throat> excuse me, he was a passionate man. He was brilliant. And and um, we need to understand that when God called him and revolutionized his life, he didn't 
change his personality. He didn't cause Paul to throw out all his great learning. He, he taught Paul through years and years of struggle and, and, and grappling with the scripture to take what he had already learned so deeply and, to see, and have it understood within the context of the gospel in Jesus. And so uh, he didn't throw away his brilliance. He also he wasn't somebody who minced words. He could speak with such passionate yearning and love for people, and yet he wasn't afraid to tell people off, to correct people, and to call things for what they really are. He says, you know, beware of the dogs. And he wasn't talking about creatures that go woof, woof. He was talking about people. A lot of us think, well, you know, good believers, Christians shouldn't talk that way, Paul. But if, anyway, if you know anything about Martin Luther, if you don't know anything about Martin Luther, never read the things that he said, you're going to be very, very shocked because he was a lot gruffer than Paul ever was. But that's another story. Anyway, so we tend to hear his confidence without tracking with his weakness and his struggles. So let's listen again to some of these words that were read to us earlier in um, in 2 Corinthians, um, what was the chapter again? Chapter 4, I'm starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's how Paul saw himself. That's how Paul understood uh, God. He knew he was a jar of clay. And, and he knew everybody was, was an earthen pot. And as I've said it before, I've heard it from others, you've probably heard it. We're all cracked pots. And, and the, our hope is that the light of God would shine through the cracks of our pots. And, and Paul understood that that is what he was, and, and that is what we are. And so we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that, we are sur- that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's just so easy. I don't know if you've ever been used by the Lord. If all of a sudden you had something wonderful to say. We talked about Peter's inspired words. And the next thing you know, he's speaking the words of the devil. And when I've been used by the Lord, I, I almost feel like a superman in that moment. But what, what, what's happening is when I feel that way is I've, I've gotten confused. The power is in God. The power is not in me. And we need to be reminded of that so that we don't get proud. Paul says, verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. Paul was afflicted in every way. He had experienced affliction in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted. Now, many of us, some of us maybe have experienced persecution, some, maybe somebody has lost a job or lost a friend. When Paul's talking about persecution, it's a lot more than that. Because we can go to another passage that talks about the lashes that he experienced and, and the imprisonments and so on. So he's able to say, persecuted but not forsaken. Somehow, in his utter loneliness, in a dungeon, a stinky, disgusting dungeon, he had learned that God was with him. But he was with him in the stinky place, struck down, but not destroyed. He'd been literally struck down. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He'd experienced great suffering 
And I, I know a lot of us still think and people think that because Jesus died and rose from the dead that we are now kept from his suffering. But no, if we're following him, we follow him right into his death so that we would experience the power of the resurrection in our broken, suffering bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. But wait, like, think about this. Think about the fact that Paul is saying that we, meaning the people he knows and he's believing it's the people that he's writing to, are caring about Jesus' death. Feeling it in their bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. That means flesh that dies. And so there's this this both-and thing tension going on where life is hard, life is difficult, life is painful, and yet the power and life and the glory of God is shining out of those people at the same time. It says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. And by that he's meaning what we're doing and being willing to do whatever it takes for this wonderful life-giving message to be proclaimed. Um, we're willing to suffer as if we're going through a death-like experience so that life might come to you. Do you hear the tension in these words? Do you hear the both and? And so I want to come back. It's one of my favorite little sections in the entire Bible that Paul, the great scholar, who didn't give up, as I said, his his scholarly brilliance for the gospel, but it was transformed for the gospel. We rely on so much of his words to understand what it is we really believe. And yet he says that he was perplexed. Paul was perplexed. What do you do? What am I supposed to do? It's like this, but it's like that. It's like this and that, that. I'm not too sure. What am I supposed It's like this. I'm feeling this way, but I'm supposed to do this, but I did that, and that went wrong, and that this was right. And I tried that, and I thought I was blowing it, but it, was, it worked out well. And then when it worked out well, then I did something really stupid, and I got in trouble, but then God used it anyway. What in the world's going on? I don't understand. Paul's saying, I don't understand. And so many of us think that Christianity is a list of things that we say, I understand this, understand, 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 understand. Oh, those people, they don't understand. And that church over there, they don't understand it like we understand it. If only they understood it, then everything would be okay. The church would be united because we'd all understand the same thing. Get with it. Read the list. Check off the boxes. Sign your name. All good. How about the piece of paper that says, I am confused because I follow Jesus. I can admit that I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I feel like I'm crawling on the ground begging for crumbs that are falling from the master's table. Isn't that the person that gets rewarded? Not the person that sits at the head of the table with a big feast. I know, you know, God feeds me with his glorious feast because I know him and I've checked off all the right boxes. No! God, I don't know what to do. Look at, look at this. This COVID thing has been driving me crazy. The government is trying to take over our lives. But at the same time, we want to be good, obedient children of God. We don't want to be rebellious. We don't want to slander our, 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 our leaders. But they're also trying to take over our lives. 
In some parts of the country, they've come into people's homes. They put a pastor in Alberta in maximum security prison because he wouldn't promise to lead his people the way he believed God wanted him to lead. Oh, no, but he was doing the wrong thing. He's not following the, the health guidelines. But don't you know it's actually unconstitutional what the government's trying to do? And we're a democratic society. What happened to that? Who's got this figured out? I know the answer. No one except God. And we crawl our way. God, would you help us? Help me today know what to do. I don't know if I should do this. Is it right? And then God doesn't answer that prayer. Should we step out? Maybe do something a little risky? Oh no, I got into trouble again. But God forgives us. This is not, the life of a believer is not designed to be neat and tidy. Paul's life shows us the messiness of the life of the believer. I'm not ever, I would never say, just go and do whatever, you know, just act foolishly and just trust God. No. And that's part of the reason why this is difficult. It's incumbent upon us to understand what God is saying to us today. Look at our struggling church. The one thing I know that's totally clear to me is the same old, same old is not what we're supposed to do. We are been placed in this incredible section of the capital city of Canada. And around us we're seeing how this little piece of land is being set up as a, as a, as a, as a center where people are going to be passing by way more than ever before. And we have the opportunity to be a shining light in this dark place. And so are we just going to do the same thing that we've always done before and just watch what's going to happen? Or are we going to be like Hannah? God, we haven't had children here in a long time. And I'm not talking about the physical ones. Where are the new little spiritual babies that every healthy church is supposed to have? We're barren. We're barren, like Hannah was. And maybe like Hannah, there are people mocking us. And the mocking that was happening to Hannah drove her to seek the Lord. And then she said, when, if you would bless me by giving me a child, it belongs to you, Lord, completely dedicated to you. And if we don't rededicate our lives to him, we're just wasting our time. But, what, but if we go forward in God and the things that he has for us, it's not going to be neat and tidy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be risky. It's going to be different. It's going to be uncomfortable. But the, my longing is that what it is, is it, it's God who is leading us. And so it's okay to struggle. It's okay to question. It's okay to struggle with doubts. It's okay to wonder where God is. Paul, who understood the struggle so well, was able... I'm just going to read this. Maybe I'll make a tiny comment, and then I'm going to pray. So Paul's second Timothy is the, his last letter. He knows he's soon going to die. He's writing to his, his young partner, Timothy, 
another city, and he writes, and I'm reading from the the Phillips translation, which um, often renders the, the New Testament so, so well. It goes like this. So never be ashamed of bearing witness to our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, except as I do all the hardship that faithfulness to the gospel entails and the strength that God gives you. For he's rescued us from all that is really evil and called us to a life of holiness, not because of any of our achievements, but for his own purpose. Before time began, he planned to give us in Christ the grace to achieve this purpose. But it's only since our Savior Jesus Christ has been revealed that the method has become apparent. For Christ has completely abolished death and is now, through the gospel, open to us open to us men the shining possibilities of the life that is eternal. It is this gospel that I am commissioned to proclaim. It is of this gospel that I am appointed both messenger and teacher. And it is for this gospel that I am now suffering these things. Yet I am not in the least ashamed. And this is, the, this is it right here. For I know the one in whom I have placed my confidence. And I am perfectly certain that the work he has committed to me is safe in his hands until that day. That which God has called us to do, if we remain faithful to it, despite our imperfections and weaknesses and mistakes and even sins, if we've committed the work that he's placed in our hands to him, he will keep that safe and he will come through. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for these people who we've been looking at these past weeks, whose lives have been open to us, chosen lives to be our examples. Lord, help us to follow in their steps. Help us to be obedient children to you. But forgive us, Lord, for insisting that things need to be neat and tidy, predictable, and not risky. Forgive us, Lord, for being offended by our own problems, for being put off because we often think we should be something that we're not, and we forget that we're jars of clay and we're still jars of clay. But when you come into those jars of clay, your treasure is to shine forth uh, through us. And I guess, Father, that the more of you there is, the, the brittleness and the f- fragility of our vessels becomes more apparent, not less. Thank you that we are forgiven children of God. We pray that your light would fill us individually and corporately and that your light would shine in us and through us. Lord, help us not to be afraid and help us to find our peace in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.